0: Scaling Up Nation, your programs are of the highest quality. That means your products need to be that same high quality. And that's why I trust Scranton Associates to help me bring the best to my customers. They're a fourth generation business with over 100 years of experience. Scranton Associates can help you with biocides and both powder and liquid blends. If you have a question about your products, give them a call and they will help you review your formulas. They can also review your safety data sheets and labels. Folks, they know what they're doing when they're looking at these and they can prevent you from getting costly fines. Scranton Associates can handle all of your blending needs from the smallest order up to tanker cars. Find out why I trust Scranton Associates for yourself. Call them today or visit ScrantonAssociates.com. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on information so we do not scale up our systems. Hi, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And folks, what a different world we are living in right now. Of course, we're all dealing with the threat of the coronavirus. We're hearing so many different things. The news is definitely trying to get us to tune in, and they're using shock value, and I think that's what that is doing is that's amping up everybody's panic level. So it's my hope that you do not succumb to that. It's my hope that we all remain calm where we know what to do. You know, we've been through this stuff before. So as my listeners in the United States are dealing with this pandemic, Just remember, as I've said on a previous show, we are a community and it's the community that's going to get us through this. Now, if you're wondering what you need to know about the coronavirus, go to the CDC website and they have all the information that you need to know. But folks, you know everything you need to know. If you're sick, stay home practice good hygiene. That means wash your hands. The more often you wash your hands, the less you are going to spread whatever you have touched from place to place. So those two things alone, I think are going to do the most. And I've also put some pages on my website straight from the CDC. So if you go to my show notes page, you can get that, or you can get that by going directly to the CDC page. Of course, AWT canceled the technical training in Cleveland last week, and I was not able to, of course, go since it was canceled. And folks, I got to tell you, I miss seeing all of you that would have shown up. So I hope that you take the opportunity to go to the training next year I'm anticipating that the training is going to be its best attendance since we weren't able to do the second location in Cleveland this past week. And uh, if you want to get tickets, I urge you to do that sooner rather than later. Now, of course, that training is going to be February 24th through 27th in 2021 in San Diego, California. And then we're going to be back in Annapolis, Maryland for March 17th through 20th. So you want to go ahead and start making plans for that. I know since we had to cut this year short that these tickets are going to sell out. So go ahead and make arrangements now. As I've mentioned on other podcasts, I am just so surprised that the Scaling Up Nation has asked for me to do math and explain mathematical equations on the podcast. And I've done that several times And I have received so much good feedback. It's just my hope that you guys are not driving as you're hearing me describe mathematical equations. But you guys said that you have definitely enjoyed that. I've got so many questions that you, the Scaling Up Nation, has asked me to answer on the show about equations that you use every single day, but you don't know where they came from. So I am going to continue to let you know where that comes from. As you know, I am a firm believer that the better we understand how something works, the better it is going to be useful for us. So I want you to know all of those things with those equations. So if you have an equation that you use on a regular basis and you're just not sure where some of the constants come from, maybe I can help you out with that. So go to scalinguph2o.com, let me know what it is and I will do my best to get an answer for you. Now, last week, I did a show all about tools that I use. And a lot of people have commented on that episode that they never thought about the time value of money. And I specifically talked about the Roth IRA. But folks, there's so many vehicles out there. You might have the ability to have a 401k for your company. Hopefully, you already know if you do or you do not. Well, folks, if you do not contribute the maximum that your employer will match, you are turning down free money. I mention this because there's so many people out there that are just scared to put their money in some sort of an investment vehicle that is earmarked for their retirement. Well, if you didn't hear last week's episode please go back to that because you will hear that the compound interest over time can equal as much as $700,000 that you would not have in a 10-year period. So it's amazing how compounded interest works. So if you're not taking advantage of these items, please investigate them And it sounds like you guys want me to do some more shows on finances based on all the comments that I received. So we might be doing that. Let me know what your questions are, and we can talk about that. We definitely need to think of ourselves as how do we pay ourselves first. Folks, if you're not paying yourself, no one else is going to do it for you. And I'm going to get off my soapbox on that topic. Another thing I mentioned last week was virtual assistants. And I've been using a virtual assistant or VA for I think about three years now and it has just changed my life. It has allowed me to focus on things that I should be focusing on and things that I don't necessarily have to do or more importantly, things that don't necessarily have to be done by me, they can be done by somebody else who can support me so I can do the higher level activity. So many people have called in and asked questions If you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash VA, you can answer most of those questions and even talk to a virtual assistant to see if having a VA is right for you. Now, on today's show, we're going to talk about something that really helped me. I thought about actually including this in the tools conversation last week but I had a guest that I knew would do such a good job because she has taught me so much about standard operating procedures. Now, maybe you know what SOPs are, maybe you're not fond of them, maybe you've never heard of that term before, but a standard operating procedure is just the way that we are going to do a specific task and we write it out in various steps so we don't forget anything. And when I first thought about writing something out like this, it was the most daunting task. And then I met Alicia Butler-Pierre. I met her through my business coach, Tim Fulton. She was a speaker at one of Tim's business summits, and she had this very easy approach to start thinking about what you're doing in a node-type fashion. And it really allowed me to get my mind around any process and boil it down to its most simple components, allowing me to write standard operating procedures. And in fact, there was something that she shared with me that was such a game-changer It took so much weight off of my shoulders and allowed me to delegate some of this work to other people before it was work that nobody else knew how to do, and I wasn't able to explain it well enough to get other people to do it. Now, I don't want to tell you what that is because we talk about that in the interview. So with that, I'm going to go straight into the interview with Alicia Butler-Pierre. My lab partner today is Alicia Butler-Pierre of Equilibrium. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Well, you and I know each other through my business coach, Tim Fulton. Tim Fulton's been on the show. People out there in the Scaling Up Nation, they are a fan of Tim Fulton. I'm curious, how did you get to know Tim? I was
1: actually in a program that probably the same program where you may have first met Tim. This was years ago, Trace. This was, I think, back in 2007. I was in a program called Fast Track that was sponsored through the SBDC, Small Business Development Center. And that's when I first met Tim.
0: I was also in that program. I did it the following year and they changed it from Fast Track to Grow Smart. So I was the first class that went through that. Well, I'm always curious, and he has just done so much for me, and you actually spoke to my class when I was in GrowSmart. I want to get to that a little bit later, but I want the audience to understand the magic powers that you have (laughs) when it comes to what you do. So before we get into that, do you mind letting the Scaling Up Nation know a little bit about Alicia Butler-Pierre?
1: Sure. Well, I'll give you a cliff notes version, really quick version of myself. I am originally from Louisiana. I actually moved to, or relocated to Atlanta back in 2005. And I just had this feeling that I needed to get out of New, I was living in New Orleans at the time. I'm, you know, again, originally from Louisiana, living in New Orleans. And I just had this feeling, Trace, like you have to get out, get out now. Don't, don't think twice. Just leave. And so, to make a long story short, I actually relocated here to a city where I knew one person when I moved here.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: crazy, right? And I literally left behind a life of comfort, to be honest with you. I was working as a chemical engineer, working as a consultant. My very last job in New Orleans, I was working for an engineering consulting firm. So being a chemical engineer, we usually work as what are called process engineers and sometimes design engineers. And as a process engineer, my very first job was at Monsanto. And I'm sure many of your listeners are very familiar with Monsanto. I was actually making Roundup. And as a process engineer, I was responsible for sampling. And again, you can appreciate this given, given your audience, I was responsible for basically sampling different batches of product. And if it did not, if it was off spec for whatever reason, as the process engineer, I would have to figure out, okay, what went wrong in the production process or the manufacturing process to cause this particular batch of product to be off spec? I, again, decided I needed to leave New Orleans, leave the entire state of Louisiana, it to Atlanta, and six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened. When I, when I relocated here, um, I was just so intrigued by Atlanta. It was so, it's so different from Louisiana, where everything is, you know, about tourism and oil and gas and food, you know, the food industry uh, is really big where I'm from, but here there's such diversity of industry. And I was it just seemed like this land of milk and honey. And so I thought, well, surely I'll get a job, right? But that didn't happen, Trace. After about two months of what seemed to be endless job searching, I started to kind of go through this self-assessment and self-evaluation period. And I said, you know what? For the amount of time, effort, and energy that I'm spending in trying to look for a job, working for someone else, I could redirect that same effort, time, and energy into creating an opportunity for myself built around my skill set. And so I literally went from looking at processes, designing, optimizing, streamlining processes from a manufacturing standpoint and applying that skill set to businesses, So that's kind of in a nutshell what I've done. I started my company back in 2005 and 14 years later, knock on wood, I'm still in business.
0: And I have seen you do presentations on what you do. I even have been the recipient of uh, benefiting from what it is that you do. So let's just get right into doing what it is that you do. You help companies build procedures. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes. So it's a little bit broader than that even. It's, it's really about building business infrastructure. And part of that are your processes and your procedures. So it's all about linking your people, processes, and your tools so that you can truly scale your business in a way that is profitable and sustainable. And so you're right. Processes and procedures are a huge part of building that business infrastructure. It's literally setting up your foundation for success.
0: Now, I can hear people out there. They're thinking, "Okay, I started my own company, so I won't have these rules. I won't have this fence that I have to stay in between. And now that I own my own company, I can be more spontaneous or I can handle each situation to its exact needs because now I'm able to pivot when I need to be able to pivot. And if I have these procedures, I can't do that. What do you say to that?
1: I think it requires a shift in language, to be perfectly honest with you. You're right. I think when so many of us hear the word procedure, we think of these standard operating procedures, these long, bulky procedures that are placed inside of these thick, ominous operations manuals, but let's, let's reshift the way we define or redefine actually altogether what a procedure actually is. I think if we really focus on process, a procedure is nothing more than a way to represent a process. So yes, a procedure is that step-by-step, step, step one, you do this, step two, you do that, step three, then you, you know, so forth and so on. That's just one of many ways that you can represent a process. You can also represent a process using a video, something as simple as taking your smartphone and recording yourself either talking through something or actually demonstrating how to use a particular piece of equipment. For example, I looked at a video trace that you actually have on the Scaling Up podcast website, and I was like, okay, I would call that a process. You were giving a demonstration of, forgive me, I don't remember the exact product, but it was a, it was a product demonstration. And I was thinking to myself, that is a process.
0: So something as simple as that is a process.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because here's what you've done. You've, you've actually told me what, what tools and and supplies I need. You've told me the steps in which to execute, a. You know, perform that particular process. You gave me all of the information that I needed. So rather than taking the time to actually get into a tool like, let's say, Microsoft Word and type it out step by step, which can take a very long time, look at what you did in just a seven minute video. You gave me that information and it was in a very engaging format. So let's just rethink the way we approach procedures. Because there's so many different ways that you can represent them now. It doesn't have to be in the form of that traditional standard operating procedure that's stuck inside of a binder, inside of a manual that nobody is ever going to look at. So that's one thing. There's three things you have to think about. Consistency, quality, and value. Those are the three key things, and I don't care what industry you're in, that your customers, as well as your vendors, your suppliers, and your employees, that's what they're looking for from you. Consistency, quality, and value. When you have a defined way of doing something, it allows you to have that consistency, quality, and value. But think about it. If every time one of your customers comes to you and they say, well, you know what? If I talk to Trace, I know it's going to take about an hour to go through this particular process. Whereas if I talk to someone else that works for Trace, it might take me two or three hours. So now everybody naturally is going to want to talk to you because it's it's going to take them a much shorter period of time. Well, a process or a procedure would actually allow you to be able to say, you know what, this is the trace way for doing this. And I know it works because it keeps customers happy. And this is going to be the standard. So now, no matter whether if Trace performs that process or someone else who works for him performs that process, it's always going to be done within an hour.
0: Well, I tell you, I have a lot of people that I work with that are uh, water treatment company owners, and I try to get them to, to do things a little bit better. And one of the things I try to get them to do is start coming up with processes for their top things that they do, especially when we're trying to create time for the owner. And it was exactly the scenario that you just said, the owner doesn't have time to work on the business because he's so busy working in the business because he's mastered these processes that he keeps or she locked up inside their head. And now they're not able to get their team to help take that work from them. So I love it. I I love that you went on to explain that because I hear that every single day. So now I'm going to ask you this, how do we know we need a process? And then what do we do from there?
1: You know you need a process. There's so many different reasons for why we may need or feel the need to document a process. It could be something as simple as, you you know, you have a trade secret. You have some type of intellectual property and you have to document it so that you can secure the proper form of documentation. Let's think about the infamous Coca-Cola formula. That is a trade secret. It has It is written down somewhere, locked up in a vault that very few people have access to. So that's one reason you might want to document a process or a procedure. Another reason is when you need to train, your, your company is growing and you realize you need to start hiring more people. Well, when you hire them, not only do, do they need to know what to do, they need to know how to do it. And to your point, as owners, we we're so busy we wear so many different hats and now we have the benefit of being able to what I do what I call make a hat donation right we can actually give up one of our hats and pass it on to someone else but we have to make sure that we empower them to be able to to do the work the way that it's supposed to be done we're not telepathic, right? <laughs> so we can't just expect that they will just know how to do things the way that we expect things to be done without having some form of documentation. And again, documentation could be something as simple as having a video. It could be some type of a recorded message. Whatever it looks like, just make sure that it's something that people can easily access so that if they get stuck or if they have questions, they can always go back to that particular form of documentation. Another reason why you you may know you need a process or procedure is when you recognize yourself, gosh, it's taken me a really long time to do this. There's got to be a better way. It's so tempting to become a victim of what I call the shiny object syndrome. You know, there's all kinds of really cool gadgets out there and different types of software technologies and all of these phone apps. But until we really assess what our process looks like, we shouldn't start looking for these tools to help us automate certain things until we know exactly what we need that tool to do for us. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. I will tell you, I have made that very mistake. I was trying to solve an issue and I went out and I purchased a software program and it was supposed to automate it. And then, automate what? We didn't know what we needed to do to build that program to truly help us. Now, through working with people like you and several books that I've read, I now know how to or how we write a process. And that really does help the actual issue.
1: And you know what? I've seen the really big companies make the same mistake, and it's it's a lot costlier for them because they've invested millions and millions of dollars into a particular, let's say, software technology only to find out once they've <laughs> actually start to actually document the process, they realize, wait a minute, this, this new technology that we've invested in is actually going to take us two times longer to actually go through the completion of this process. What we thought was going to save us time is actually taking us even more time.
0: I will tell you that we I wouldn't say we've gone overboard with processes but we now run our company based on processes and we have a lot that we still need to write but the core things that we do that we cannot mess up and that makes us unique and that our customers expect each and every time we interact with them we do have those things documented and we even went as far to create a process for creating processes that way they maintain consistency, people know where to find them, they're not written if they don't need to be written and it even has a testing and training period written into that process for the process. How do you work with clients so they get to that point?
1: Well, first of all, con- congratulations to you. That's that's really impressive that you have all of those things in place. Different people have different starting points. Some people have made some attempt at documenting processes or procedures. Some people have nothing in place. So I always go in to try to figure out what do you currently have in terms of documentation? And let's take a look at that first. I'm not a fan of ever starting from scratch if you don't have to. I'm all about leveraging what you already have and building upon that. Because you you know, no one knows your business the way you do, right? And so my job when I come in and I'm working with someone, especially if it's one-on-one, is to just figure out what do you already have? You may be surprised at just what you have documented already. It might be buried in the form of a blog post that you wrote some years ago. It could be some type of training manual that you put together at one point. It could be, it could be something like sticky notes that you've jotted down Whatever it is, my job is to kind of get inside of your head and figure out what you've already done, where you're trying to go, and then fill in that gap with these processes and procedures. So in doing that, I have a methodology that I developed as a result of working with so many different types of companies across so many different industries over the years. And I like to start off with, and I think this was what I may have shared with you when I, when I first met you, Trace, those years ago at that presentation at, at Tim's group, is I like to start off with this massive brain dump, almost like a brainstorming exercise. And I have this 11 by 17 sheet that's, and I have all of these different topics on that sheet. And that's really used to help facilitate this brainstorming exercise that we go through. And the idea is to document or get onto these really large post-it notes that I have, all of the different tasks that you perform in your company. Everything from what seems to be completely mundane to the most absolute mission critical things that you're doing, whether it be on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis. Let's get it all out of your head and onto these large post-it notes. From there, I have a tool where I can convert that information that's on those large post-it notes onto these little small like index cards. And then from there, we figure out How can we group some of these different tasks that you've identified? How can we group them into categories? And those categories eventually become your departments. Now here's the cool thing. When we look at each department and all of the associated tasks assigned to that particular department, it also enables us to figure out the processes that are associated with that department. I'll give you an example. Let's say, there's a department that you've identified as your accounting department, and some of the tasks that have been identified might be deposit check, send invoice, send reminder uh, to, for client to make payment or customer to make payment. You may look at those three tasks within the accounting department and say, you know what? These three tasks alone make up our accounts receivable process. And that's just a more formulaic way that I take some of my clients through to just first identify what processes they even need to document. A lot of times I think we just dive straight in and say, okay, we're going to document our processes. It's overwhelming. It's daunting because you don't even know where to start. So I always recommend starting off with first coming up with an inventory of all of the processes that you want to document. And once you have that inventory, then you can start to prioritize. Like, you know what? I know we, we've identified 40 processes that we need to document, but out of this 40, there's really two that we really need to focus on right now let's focus on those two and come up with a plan for getting the rest documented over an extended period of time.
0: Is it easier to do the other plans or the other procedures once you've done the other two? You're like, oh, these were the most important ones. We got those done. They're under my belt. Now I'm able to work on these more efficiently.
1: It really depends on the complexity of what your process is. So, you may have a process, again, going back to the accounts receivable process. That process might not nearly be as complex as your process where you are actually on site working with a client, talking to them about your water treatment process. Whatever your service delivery process looks like can be a lot more complicated and complex in comparison to other processes that you might have. A process as simple as well, what's your lead generation process? So it it really does depend on complexity.
0: I would love to share with the audience what you taught me to do so many years ago. So I was elected as the president of the Association of Water Technologies, and that is a three-year commitment. So your first year, you're president-elect, then you're president, then you're immediate past president. Well, the first year as president-elect, your job is to plan the annual convention. I've never done this before. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was trying to choose the speakers that we were gonna have talk to our attendees. And for fun, instead of just having one track of speakers or two, they decided to do three that year. So I had so many abstracts that I had to go through and make sure that these were uh, applicable to the convention, to the, the training topics that were available, and then also make sure that they were lined up in such a way that you know, it made sense for somebody to be in this room or, or that room. And I was just struggling. And then I remembered the notes that I took when you came in and talked to the class when I was with Tim with the GrowSmart class, And that's exactly what I did. I got three different color note cards. Actually, I think it was four because I had one that I had no idea where to place. So I had uh, one was a technical topic. uh, So they were, say, green. And then the second technical topic was orange. The third topic was actually business. So say they were blue. And then red was the mystery that I didn't know where to put. And I started taking the abstracts and putting them on those index cards. And then I got everything off of our conference table. We couldn't use our conference table for about two weeks during this process. Uh, But (laughs) I, (laughs) so, so my team was like, when do we get our table back? But it worked really well. And then I started placing those out into the three different tracks. And then I started organizing them. If this goes first, it would play well with this one, but they need to hear this first before they hear that. And if I did not use your process to this day, I do not know how I would have put that program together. So thank you.
1: Wow. You're welcome. And what's so funny, I had no idea until you, you know, we, we both happened to speak at the uh, Small Business Matters Conference, and you you told me that story. How many years later? Like, almost, I guess, like, what, 11 years later?
0: Yeah, something like that. That's uh
1: That is amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, and I'm sorry for not letting you know that I used that, um, but I really did. And I do not know to this day what I would have done to produce what that did for me.
1: And to me, and and I'm glad that you can give a a true testimonial to the power of, you know, we're in the digital age, obviously, and there's no turning back. But do you think you would have been able to do that if you just kind of worked on the computer? because I have this conversation with people a lot. I'm like, there's, I don't, I can't explain it, but there's something about just having it in your hands. It's tangible. You can see it. And what may have taken you a few days, maybe even a week to figure out, you can get to the heart of it like in, I don't know, like three to four hours.
0: I will tell you, I am very fond of putting pen and paper to something like that. Uh, There are a lot of programs that I'm aware of out there that will do something similar to that, but it was just so easy to grab an index card and I had the four different stacks and I started going through the abstracts and I was like, okay, that gets a blue, that gets an orange, that gets a red. And if I had to set that up or learn how to use a program, that's probably where I would have lost my interest and I wouldn't have had the same result. I was just able to get in there and do it with the paper. In fact, the the presentation that you saw where I just performed uh, with you at Tim's Small Business Matters, that's actually how I created my outline. I use note cards. And and I said, no, these are the key points that I need to make. Now, how do I need to make them so they make sense? And being on note cards, it allowed me to shuffle them around. And then once I had that, then I went into Word and I created an outline from that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And so for those who are listening, you know, again, just try it out for yourself. And you'll see just how quickly there's just something like, like, Trace said, there's something almost magical about having a large flat surface where you can just spread out all of your ideas written individually onto index cards and then figuring out how to group or categorize or organize that data into larger chunks of information. So whether you're trying to figure out the departments that make up your company so that you can create your own organizational chart, Or if you're trying to figure out, well, what processes do I need to even document? Get those tasks written onto different index cards at a really high level and then start to group like tasks together. And then that would help you figure out probably a lot quicker what your processes actually are. Um, And the beauty, the other, probably perhaps the most powerful part of this exercise is the fact that you can easily get other people involved because sometimes we get stuck when we're trying to figure out things alone and by ourselves. But if we can bring other people who work with us and they know the business and they know what we're trying to accomplish, that's a great team exercise to go through because it's something that everybody can participate in.
0: That's a great point. And I will tell you, since I commandeered the conference table for about two weeks, everybody saw it and everybody gave me their input, whether I asked for it or not. (laughs) But, but I, I think you hit on something that really rang true to me, and I don't think I realized it until you said it. When I'm on a computer program, things have to be so small in order for me to see everything laid out that you can't see everything. But when you have things on a note card and then they're on a conference table or whatever surface, it's very easy to see and it's so easy to collaborate without having to scroll here or or zoom in or zoom out. And I think that is the magic and the simplicity of a note card.
1: Yes. I've even worked with some clients where they didn't have the space. They just didn't have the physical space for a, a large conference room type table and we would literally just spread everything out on the floor. We'd clear the floor out in what, in the room we'd, we'd be working in and just, <laughs> it looks like a mess, but there's, there's a method to the madness. And, um, so it, again, nothing fancy here. It's just going to a, a Target or a Walgreens, uh, buying a pack of index cards and get going.
0: Now, Lisa, I have an audience of business owners, and I also have an audience of technicians. So I'm sure there's some technicians that are driving around today and say, okay, well, my boss is listening to this, and I'm sure this is great information to me. But with my day-to-day, how does this apply to me?
1: Sure. And I hate to paint a dark picture, but whenever people question the the validity of, of processes and procedures, I always tell them, you experience in some way, shape, form, or fashion, a process at work literally every day of your life. Now, you don't realize that it's a process because everything is working smoothly. But just imagine if something went wrong, if someone didn't follow a process. You always have to think, what is the worst thing that could happen? And again, it. it depends on the industry but because we are talking about water treatment one of the things that comes to mind for me almost immediately is the water crisis in flint michigan you know when we when we start again whenever i i hear certain news stories that are trending my mind always goes to process and procedure like who didn't do what they were supposed to be doing from and, and it sounds like it this is something that goes back several several years based on some decisions that were made, but look at the what the impact is today. Same thing with manufacturing. I come from a manufacturing background. We could not afford to miss a step. We just couldn't. Something might explode. In fact, that's something that's happened very recently. I don't know if you've heard about, uh, there's an oil refinery that had a very serious explosion in Philadelphia. So, and I know this plant. I've, there's an interstate that literally runs right over this, this plant. And sure enough, there, there was an explosion there recently, and some people were killed. Same thing with health care. You can't afford to miss steps. Health care could mean someone getting, receiving the wrong diagnosis, it could mean someone having the wrong limb removed. When we talk about law, I remember years ago, I had a complaint against an airline company and I was working with an attorney and paying attention to what he was doing. He filed paperwork and it didn't have my name on it. It had someone else's name. So, again, just paying attention to detail, not having a, some type of a quality control checkpoint in his process. And now my information, information that was associated with my case, has someone else's name on it. I'm sure you can imagine that was a lot of fun trying to get that taken care of. Let's look at the banking industry. Look at all of these data breaches that are happening and cybersecurity hiccups that have been happening lately where our data is now exposed in in various forms. Again, it goes back to process. It goes back to procedure. And you don't want to talk about things from a, a negative standpoint, but sometimes you have to just to get people to understand Why it is so important to have those things in place. Again, it always goes back to consistency, quality, and value. You can't afford to make certain mistakes in certain businesses, especially in water treatment.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you something that people ask me all the time and something that I struggle with myself is how do you get more time to improve what you do in your day-to-day? And of course, we only have 24 hours, so we're never going to get any more time, but what can we do better within that 24 hours that will allow us to do other things? And as a water trader, you spend a lot of time in your test kit and you spend a lot of time interfacing with the customer. A lot of times those overlap and you can't ignore the customer. That never works out well. So you start making little mistakes in your testing procedures. So one of the things I always advise people to do is get your testing procedures really nailed down. So that way uh, you can even have a checklist for that to make sure you've done everything from where you've collected your sample, to how you've run your tests to how you've reported your test, so that way you don't forget something. Because when you forget something, you make bad decisions, and then those can be used against you, and that can be avoided by just a simple checklist and a procedure.
1: Absolutely, and that is a great, great point. And I have a tool, if I can plug this tool really quickly to help with something like that? Because I'm assuming you're, you're out in the field, right, as you're doing these tests, correct? We are. Okay. So something to consider because so many of us now, we have mobile devices. There is a tool called gocanvas.com, G-O-C-A-N-V-A-S.com. Come up with your checklist. I think it's brilliant that you're talking about checklists. Come up with your checklist. You can actually convert your checklist into a digital form that you can fill out either on your phone or your tablet, whether you have an iPad or or some other type of electronic tablet. And that data will then be sent off to whatever location you decide that it could be sent to. Another tool that you could use that's free is Google Docs. You can actually create a fillable form, electronic form that you can fill out on the go while you're out in the field using that form. I know sometimes it can be a little unnerving to have paper with us because there's always that risk of accidentally losing something or somehow that paper being destroyed. Well, this would be a great way to have that information in a digital format. That way, as you're out there in the field, you can open up your checklist, whether it be in Google Docs or an app that you've created using the GoCanvas platform, fill out everything that way you make sure you don't miss anything and you can also set up your fields to where it has the little red asterisk where it's required we've all we've all had to fill out some type of a form online before right and we try to bypass answering certain questions or filling out certain information and We try to click that submit button and it says, uh ah, you can't advance to the next screen until you've filled out all of the information that has been labeled as a required field. So that would be a great way to have your checklist. Um, And that way, it'll eventually become second nature. You know, before you leave that client's site, you have to have completed all the fields in that particular form.
0: Those are great tools. Thank you for, for bringing those up. And I'll make sure to put those on the show notes page as well. You know, we started talking about checklists, and I can't tell you how much calm checklists give me, especially we do things that are pretty high level for clients, but maybe we don't do them every single day. So we're really good at them, but we haven't done them for the last six weeks because we haven't had a client request it. Well, now we don't have to mentally go through, okay, we do this, we do that we did something really well the first time and then we debriefed it and we made a checklist based on what went well and what we could have done better. And now all we have to do is pull up that checklist and we know it's going to go flawlessly each and every time. And I love the fact that putting that on a Google document, that's what we're going to do next.
1: Yeah. It's going to change everything for you because even with, for example, I I have a podcast as well and I would go through it was it was very my processes were very manual, shamefully. <laughs> but when I was starting off with my podcast, I would send a list of questions and then we'd kind of go back and forth about setting up a date and a time for the interview and then it, it, there everything was just even though I was using email, it was still a very laborious, in my opinion very manual process. And it wasn't until I started using these online forms where everything started to become a lot more streamlined. It was automated. I just had to send one email as opposed to potentially 10 different emails. And once they filled out the form, all of that information came back to me, and I no longer had to kind of hunt people down for things like, hey, can I have a copy of your headshot? Can I have a copy of this? Can you send me your bio? All of that information that I was requesting in several different emails is now housed in one form.
0: I love that. You and I need to share each other's checklists because I'm sure we probably have something that the other didn't. Okay. Because um, I, I, I have a ton of checklists for it. I actually have an assistant. So Scaling Up Nation, I don't think you knew this, but uh, there's a lady out there, her name is Carla. And Carla is the one that does all the scheduling. She makes sure production happens. She does a tremendous job. But I had to hand off what I was doing each and every day for Scaling Up and give to her. Well, how does she know what I was doing without me telling her? And she's not in my office. She's remote. We've actually never met in person. So by giving her those checklists, she was able to take what I was doing and doing it at least the same way that I was doing until she became comfortable and now she has made it far better than what I ever imagined could be done. So and it all started with checklists.
1: The power of a checklist. And and you've also said something really key. It's about continuously improving. So don't ever think that once you've documented something, again, no matter what the format may be, that it's like a one and done, that it's static. No, it's very dynamic because the technologies that we're using are constantly evolving. So it's only natural that our processes and procedures have to evolve as well. And you're just getting better over time. And as, as your customers keep providing you with feedback, you go and you make some tweaks and adjustments here and there. It's, it's just being in that mindset of, again, constantly improving to make sure that you're providing the highest quality and the highest value and that you do it consistently.
0: The, the three cores to why you need processes, procedures, and checklists. Yes. You know, to speak to the scaling up nation, the, the technicians out there against, I know you have been somewhere where you have left something at your office or at home when you needed it on a client site. If you make a quick checklist of the things you need before you leave your office and you go through those before you drive out of the parking lot, you won't have issues like that. You will save time because you spent time to make a checklist.
1: Great point.
0: Well, I'm curious because you've worked with so many companies trying to put checklists together, and I'm sure you have a lot of successes, but you probably have some failures too. So I'm, I'm curious, what can we learn from that? What are, and you don't have to mention any names, but what are some failures where something didn't happen, so something didn't work?
1: Honestly, it's if it fails, it's because they don't, it's the lack of adoption. They don't actually stick to the process because just writing your processes is a process. And so it, it does you no good to write something or put something in place only to not follow it. And honestly, I've, I've never seen that with my smaller, the small businesses that I work with. I see that in the big companies that I work with. And to be honest with you, Trace, a lot of times it's because of company politics. It's the silos. It's, okay, what's going to be funded versus what will not get funded. What project is considered hot and sexy right now versus, oh, yeah, 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 that process stuff. Uh-huh, yeah, we hear you. We'll we'll get to that later.
0: Well, I have worked with companies that they have created processes. They even bound it in this beautiful book and then they sat it up on the bookcase and it's got about five inches of dust on it now. So I've, I've seen that happen as well, just a little bit of work that, that I've done with companies. What can people do to make sure it doesn't collect that five inches of dust?
1: It kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, how we have to rethink the way we approach procedures and, and When people hear procedure, again, they're thinking of what you just described. That's not how I approach it. So when I'm working with my clients, I don't see things sitting on the shelf because honestly, a lot of them don't even want paper at all. They want paperless offices. So a lot of things, we're using the tools that they are already integrating into their day-to-day operations. For example, there is a truck repair company. That i'm thinking of right now that i've done some work with they started using ipads why on earth would we go through the process of documenting step-by-step procedures when their mechanics are literally on the shop floor all day they're not going to stop what they're doing trace to walk into a room pull out a manual on a shelf flip to the page where they can find the specific information they look for. It's just not going to happen. But what if they have that information digitally that they could access through a Dropbox or a Google Drive or SharePoint? I've even seen, and I think this was really cool, but this is a much higher investment. I've actually been to a webinar. It was earlier this year with, are you familiar
0: with Google Glasses? I've heard of that, yes.
1: Yes, you can put on these. it's like virtual reality. You put on these glasses, and you can literally t- tap on the side of the frame, and it acts as a mouse. and you can actually see it sounds crazy. i'm I'm doing my best to try to describe this. but it's almost like looking into the rear view mirror as you're driving a car. And you look up into that rear view mirror and you can actually see the steps for the procedure that you're performing while you're in the field or on the shop floor.
0: Oh, that's my next shiny thing. I'm telling you.
1: So look into that. It's Google Glasses. And and I can even send you the name of the company that gave, I went to this one hour lunch and learn, and it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Use technology, use digital technology, use videos, create your own private YouTube channel. This is what I tell a lot of my clients to do. And it doesn't take having to make an investment in all of this fancy equipment. You already have your phone. Most of us now have smartphones. That means we are able to record video. Record yourself talking through something. Again, Trace, I looked at a video that you posted on, on the Scaling Up podcast website. And I, saw, I see this seven-minute video. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a process. If you literally had to tell someone how to do that, you could point them to that video. It doesn't have to be public on YouTube. You can have your own private channel where only people that work for you would have access to those videos. So let's get out of this, this thinking that procedures have to be bulky and they're stored in this operations manual and that's what's placed on the shelf. And yep, good luck with that. Nobody's gonna ever see that. You have a virtual assistant you work with. She literally cannot access something that you've produced in a physical form. She would have to access it digitally. So most of my team, everyone I work with is outside of the state of Georgia. My virtual assistant is in New York. My social media manager is in Brooklyn. My, I mean, there's so many people that I work with who are not even in the same state as me.
0: I love it. Now, what is the one thing that you want to make sure our audience goes home with? What do you want them to know? What's that one thing?
1: that your processes are really like your recipes, your business's recipes for success. Think about this. If you think about your favorite meal at your favorite restaurant, and what if you asked the chef for the ingredients? Would you still be able to go home and replicate that dish? The answer is probably no. Because there's so many other things that you would need to know. You might not have the right equipment. You know, you have equipment at your home, which is not the commercial equipment that would be in a restaurant. You may not know the timing of certain, how to time certain things, you know, whether it's prepared, you know, on a gas stove, is it prepared in a brick oven? There's so many different factors that are involved aside from just knowing the ingredients. So think about that. Your processes are literally your recipes for success. If you want to be able to replicate, and this is the scaling up podcast, if you are serious about scaling your efforts, you have to get it documented so that when you hand it off to someone else, can they replicate that process and within reason produce the same result.
0: I know there are a lot of people out there listening and they're thinking that this sounds really good, but they want some tools to get started. And I know you have recently come out with a book. Do you mind talking a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. I'd love to talk about my book. It's called Behind the Facade, How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. I actually talk about my methodology step by step. This is a true how-to book. But I tried my best to not make it boring, Trace, so there are actu- it's actually a collection of short stories based on entrepreneurs that I have worked with over the years. Many times when people read the book, they come back telling me, oh my God, I identified with this character in this particular chapter. In chapter eight, it's called The Emerald Tablet. It's all about processes and procedures. It goes through step by step how to get your processes and procedures in place. But you also have the benefit of learning the entire methodology for creating business infrastructure. And the book is available at pretty much any online retailer. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million.
0: Well, we will put a link right on the show notes page so people can find it by just clicking one spot. Okay, sounds great. This has been a lot of fun. I I know you've tweaked a lot of people's interest, and I know you've probably helped a lot of people that were not getting to the point where they needed to, even starting procedures. So I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O and helping so many people out there in the Scaling Up Nation.
1: Thank you so much for allowing me to come and share this information. I really appreciate it.
0: Alicia, thank you so much for all of that valuable information. You know, she uses simple things like note cards and whiteboards. And I tell you, when you think about how complex we think our procedures are, when you get them on something simple like a whiteboard or a note card, it really allows your mind to start simplifying how simple that procedure actually is. I think we overcomplicate things in our head. And because of that, it's hard to even get started. So if you can take some notes from Alicia, I can tell you what she taught me has definitely helped me. It's helped my team. And I am so much happier because I'm not the one that has to do all the things that at one time I was the only one that knew how to do them. Folks, earlier in the show, I was talking about virtual assistants and how I've been using a virtual assistant for about three years now. Well, folks, after I figured out how to delegate items to a virtual assistant, I then needed to come up with a way that they were going to do the task in a way that I made sure the end result was what I was expecting. So, of course, I wrote standard operating procedures so they didn't have to come to me every time they had a question. They could simply use the standard operating procedures. SOPs have saved me so much time because of that, and they've made it very easy for the virtual assistants that I work with to do the tasks that they need to do. And here's the cool thing. Where I wrote the beginning SOPs, They're now writing the new SOPs as we discover new and easier ways to do things, and they will just simply send me a copy of the SOP, and then I simply approve it. Folks, SOPs get things out of your head, and if you've ever been in the same boat that I was when you were so frustrated because everybody is coming to you asking you how to do things, Get that stuff out of your head, put it down on paper, and then other people can do it for you. Essentially, what I learned I was doing was I was training people that the only way they could get their question answered was they had to come and ask me a question. Now, coming and asking me a question is not a bad thing, but normally that means we forgot something on our standard operating procedures. SOPs have just changed the way that I do business and how I've been able to get time back in the business. One of the keys, I think, to writing a standard operating procedure is don't think that it's so complicated that nobody else can do it except for you. That line of thinking is the issue that I had to deal with. Something that got me over that was the note cards that I mentioned. The simple note cards allowed me to simplify or at least look at my process as a simple process and then I just moved on from there. From there, I then tried to capture no more than 80% of the process. Folks, smart people are doing these processes. We don't have to tell them every single step. Essentially what you wanna focus on is making sure the stupid stuff doesn't happen and we make it so the stupid stuff can't happen. So if there's ever an issue, you look and you see, well, was that in the SOP? No, it wasn't. I need to add that. Now, in some instances, you might say, hey, it was there. Well, that means the person did not follow the SOP. And now that's a training issue. And folks, when you know where issues come from, I can't tell you how awesome that is because now you know how to solve them. We've talked about episode 130 several times during this episode. That was last week's episode when I was telling you about all the tools that I use. Well, some of the tools that I use. Well, I am going to go back to a December episode next week. And it was towards the end of the year when I was talking about the 12-week year. Several of you have read the book, The 12-Week Year, and I actually misspoke on that episode. I actually called it The 13-Week Year, and that's just because that's how I use it for myself. But it is called The 12-Week Year. We are going to be talking all about The 12-Week Year next week, and it's a planning tool that will allow you to really get things done. You will learn that there's more to just planning what we're going to do with a goal. We actually have to execute that. And the 12-week year brings both of those things together very well, and they allow us to pivot when our execution is not where it needs to be. So I can't wait to bring that to you next week on Scaling Up H2O. Nation, many of you have called in and asked what it is like to be a member in the Rising Tide Mastermind. Well, we have weekly video calls where your group gets together and we try to solve each other's issues. We also celebrate each other's successes, and we encourage each other to go to the next level and come up with action items that we hold each other accountable that we are going to achieve. We also read books together to make sure that we're not just reading books, but we're getting something out of them. Quarterly one-to-ones with me each member receives, that's where we talk about how we can get you further faster And we also enjoy a two-day live event. And there is just so much more that happens within the Mastermind group. If you want to learn more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you.